Welcome to the FDD Events Podcast. I'm Cliff Mate, founder and president of FDD. I'm pleased to share with you the following conversation. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss out on future FDD events. Good morning. It's Monday, December 11th. Israel has been at war for 66 days. I'm Jonathan Shanzer, Senior Vice President for Research at FDD, and welcome back to the FDD Morning Brief. The president of the University of Pennsylvania resigned this weekend. The presidents of Harvard and MIT have not. The president of Argentina wants to slap sanctions on Hamas. The president of the United States wants more aid delivered to Gaza. We track all the presidents, and we track lots of other news, too. That, in a nutshell, is the FDD Morning Brief. This morning, I'll be joined by Jacob Nagel, the former national security advisor to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and a weapons expert who really knows Israeli military technology. But before we speak to Jacob, let's take a quick look at what's happening this morning. The fighting continues in Gaza. Israel continues to make headway. The IDF has been uh, dropping leaflets everywhere, calling upon Hamas to surrender. And the photos and video released by by the IDF show that Hamas is slowly but surely losing its grip. But the Israeli death toll is mounting. Seven fallen soldiers were reported just this morning. Meanwhile, the most wanted men of Hamas, like Yahya Sinwar and Mohammed Daif, are yet to be found. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu spoke with Russian President Vladimir Putin yesterday for 50 minutes. The Israeli PM tried to convince Putin that his partnership with Iran is a dead end. The Russian strongman admonished Netanyahu, saying that the massacre of 10-7 didn't justify Israel's war in Gaza, which he calls collective punishment. We'll just note here that Putin is sorely lacking in self-awareness given his brutal war of aggression that he launched nearly three years ago in Ukraine. Yemen's transitional council, the government in southern Yemen that has been battling the Houthis for years, announced that it was interested in teaming up with Israel to take on the Iran-backed terror group in the wake of a number of high-profile attacks on Israel, the U.S., and French assets. I definitely did not have that one on my bingo card, but it's a great idea and we'll continue to track it. Israeli media reported this weekend that 460 religious Israeli women who were previously exempted from military service have submitted requests to serve anyway. It's just a small example of the ways in which Israelis have rallied around the flag, and it's remarkable to me how such stories stand in such stark contrast to the news we consume here in the United States. Okay, here are your top three big stories to watch today. Hamas has threatened to kill the remaining hostages if Israel does not meet the terror group's demands. Here's what we know. Abu Ubeda, the Hamas spokesman who may now be based in Algeria, issued a statement yesterday saying that if Israel doesn't release Hamas prisoners in Israeli jails and send more humanitarian assistance into Gaza, the remaining 137 hostages in uh, in Hamas custody will be killed. This comes as Hamas has suffered significant defeats on the battlefield with dozens of terrorists surrendering. Time is running out and the group appears desperate. So what's next? According to Israeli press reports this weekend, the government in Jerusalem has been considering another hostage for prisoner swap with Hamas, but then recently decided against it. I don't want to put any words in anyone's mouth, but it appears that the Israelis have decided to fight on Rescuing hostages if possible, but not at the expense of the primary goal of the war. And that goal is the total defeat of Hamas. That's, of course, terrible news for the hostage families, but it's not hard to understand given the current state of play. There is still a slight chance for another swap, 
Qatar, one of Hamas's key financial patrons, continues to negotiate on with the United States and Israel. Headline number two, the Israelis want Hezbollah out of southern Lebanon now. Failure to achieve that could lead to another major war. Here's what we know. Hezbollah has been waging war against Israel since October 7th. The group has lost fighters and assets, but they've done a lot of damage too. Attacks continued this morning. In fact, up to 100,000 Israelis have been forced to leave their homes along the northern border. The Israelis have now said that Hezbollah needs to stop the attacks and clear out of southern Lebanon. They say they want full implementation of UN Security Council Resolution 1701, which calls for Hezbollah's disarmament and no armed forces south of the Latani River. If, Hezra, if, uh, if Hezbollah doesn't comply, the IDF says it will unleash a devastating war on southern Lebanon. So now what? The timing of these announcements are significant. The Israelis needed to significantly weaken Hamas first in the Gaza Strip. And now that Hamas is severely crippled, there is room to make demands in the north. Some Israelis I've talked to actually wanted to go north first after October 7th, and this makes sense given that Hezbollah is the more formidable threat. But a word of warning, if a northern war erupts, this could be a dramatically different conflict than any of us have seen in the past. Hezbollah has 200,000 rockets and lethal precision-guided munitions. This could do real damage in Israel. Casualties could be high. Israel would be forced to fight a very different war than we have seen, a much more brutal one. I, for one, hope this war never breaks out, but I also understand that it could be a war of necessity, particularly if Israel ever wishes to allow its citizens to live in the northern communities again. And finally, headline three, the Mossad disrupted an Iranian terrorist attack against Israelis in Cyprus. Here's what we know. Two Iranians were arrested in Cyprus in early November. The intended target was at least one Israeli businessman. The assassins arrived to Cyprus via Turkey, which is another patron of Hamas. Fortunately, the plot was disrupted at an early stage. The suspects are apparently now waiting deportation. So now what? The Israelis have vowed to start targeting Hamas and its enablers through extraterritorial strikes, a campaign not unlike what happened after the Munich Olympics of 1972 could be underway. On the other side of that split screen, over the last year, the Iranians have tried to target Israelis in Cyprus, and Turkey, and Georgia, and Greece. We should expect that to continue as well. One interesting observation made by Israeli analyst Amir Bar Shalom on Channel 12 yesterday was that Turkey has previously helped the IRGC by allowing operatives to enter Turkish-occupied northern Cyprus and then to cross into Cyprus to carry out attacks from there. I've said it before, I'll say it again, the current government in Turkey is a threat to the Middle East. Okay, those are your headlines. I'm now pleased to welcome Brigadier General Reserve Jacob Nagel. Jacob is the former national security advisor to Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. But not only that, he was head of the Nagel Commission, which determined the viability of Israel's incredible Iron Dome system. That was long before the world came to understand how effective Iron Dome would be. Jacob is a professor at Israel's Technion University, and he's also a fellow with us here at FDD. I've learned a huge amount from Jacob over the years, and I suspect you will too. Welcome, Jacob. Thank you very much. Welcome from Israel. Okay, Jacob, let's dive right in. I want to talk to you a little bit about what we've learned so far about Israel's technology during this war. Maybe we can just start with the multi-level defense system, that air defense system that you helped create. 
How has that been performing so far uh, since the war began? You know, excellent question to start with. You know, it's the first time, I think, in the history of the world that a country is uh, running three levels of uh, active protection against ballistic missile defense, the uh, Iron Dome, the David Sling, and the Arrow. And believe me, there are also other uh, levels and layers. Not on all of them we are talking. Some of them are soft layers. Some of them are other layers. Uh, in the future wars, and unfortunately Israel will have future wars, we'll see also a, a laser working. Unfortunately, we don't have it. We still have to wait about three years. Don't believe people that are saying something else. Now about the systems that are working. Iron Dome uh, performs exactly as it performs in the previous uh, rounds about 90% uh, interception uh, uh, success. And again, it's very important to understand it because 90% is not 100. It's more than what uh, we in our committees uh, offered or um, uh, told our leaders that we'll give them, but it's still very, very, very high. But again, 90% meaning 10 out of 100 will go down, and out of the 10, one can uh, damage. The second level for the first time is David Sling really, really performed excellent, very close to 100% uh, performance, of course, not on the same numbers. And the third layer, the arrow, for the first time, the arrow three intercepted something in space. And as someone told me, it's amazing that the first space war, so-called, uh, between countries in the world is between Israel and the Houthis, and it's 300 kilometers above Earth uh, in the in space. Again, not many, uh, of course, interceptions, about six, seven times, 100% uh, success. It's very good that we see. Now, I, I, I have a joke. I am telling that the Houthis are doing us very good uh, service because you know that, you know, and again, I don't urge them to do this. Uh, in, in order to do a good uh, Aeros 3 test, it cost us about 200, 300 million dollars do it in Alaska or in Point Megu in the United States. Now we do it in a 1% cost, 3, 4 million dollars. There is a threat, we intercept it, it's working, let's go to the next one. Okay, well, let's hope you don't have to do many more tests. Uh... I, hope, I <laughs> hope so, but it's very nice that you see it's working. Well, very good. That's good news. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, active defense system on the tanks and vehicles that are in the Gaza Strip. We've heard a lot about the trophy active defense system. How is that working so far? You know, first, I have to uh, tell your audience, it's something that you have to understand, because some people say, why you don't, you don't have a fast solution now, today, tomorrow? We started to work on this trophy system 1986. 1986, 25 years later, it became operational. So it takes time, especially those kind of systems. And we're working on also on another kind of systems for active protection on another uh, kind of vehicle, sometimes on a lighter vehicles. Uh, fortunately enough, the United States was with us. The United States bought uh, many systems for their uh, vehicles, for their Abrams and for their Bradleys. I think it's very important that the United States are using also the Israeli protection system. It's something that we can give back to the United States 
for their investments in our system. Now this system is life-saving system. And again, uh, your audience can read from time to time, we have casualties with people on Merkava 4, on Merkava 3, on Namer, on other systems that are being killed because of uh, RPGs, anti-tank missiles, because Cornet in the north, in the south. It's not hermetic. There are parameters for the system to work. Sometimes not all those parameters are working, but this is a life-saving system. I can tell you, I cannot tell you the numbers, but huge number of Israeli lives have been saved using those uh, systems. We have them on, of course, Merkava. We have them on Denamer, that is the smaller Merkava, and we will have them in the future on many other uh, systems in such you know, there are many uh, varieties of this system. This is one example of how much Israel is investing in order to protect our soldiers, our warriors. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that certainly looks like good news as well, I think, in terms of the tech that you've deployed. I think it's the only but... system in the world that's really operational. There are some other Russians, other, but this is really the one that proves in battle. Yeah. Let me ask you a little bit about the role of drones and UAVs uh, in, in what you've deployed in Gaza. I understand that we've seen a significant uptick during this war uh, of the role of these unmanned aerial vehicles. They're being used for intelligence, but they're also used being used in military purposes for attacks. Tell us a little bit about what's going on there. First of all, it's one of the surprises, you know, not surprises, but people that were not acquainted because you could, you could start seeing it in, in, in the war between Ukraine and Russia. But the role that UAVs on all levels, male, uh, ale, and the, and the low, low levels, it's like the medium high altitude, the high altitude, and of course, the biggest number is the low altitude uh, drones and UAVs. They are being used, hundreds of them are being used in Gaza. So some of them are uh, relatively cheap, so sometimes if someone is falling, if some of those, it's okay, it's okay because no, no, no many secrets on it, a camera on sometimes, and of course we have some uh, UAVs, it used to be very uh, secret, now everyone knows that some of those UAVs have weapon system on, uh, on them. Unfortunately, our enemies also using some drones, so sometimes our, so our soldiers <coughs> are trying to take down some of our uh, drones and sometimes are even succeeded. <clears throat> so they, are, they have a very, very important role. I cannot see the war in Gaza today without those drones and UAVs. And I know that some of our industries will have a lot of uh, sales after the war, after the, everyone will see what those UAVs and drones did in the battlefield. Well, let me ask you about some tech that we've heard just a tiny bit about, but we have not heard probably enough yet. Uh, we continue to hear about the potential for Israel to flood some of these tunnels that you have discovered underground in Gaza. What is happening there? I'll, take, I'll talk generally because sometimes, you know, uh, we have censorship, we have things that we cannot say. The Wall Street Journal uh, went out with the article saying that we are trying to flood uh, tunnels. It's a good idea if someone is doing it. Uh, we are doing many, uh, many things in order to 
to, but to, to tackle those tunnels because these tunnels are really the main obstacle that we have now in Gaza. You know that we have Gaza up and we have Gaza down. Now, I'm telling you, Gaza up, we are doing very good in the north. We are doing now in Khan Yunis. It will be finished in one month, two months, three months. It will take us much longer to clean all the underground and some of those rats. I call them rats. They are underground. Unfortunately, they have with them some of our hostages. And sometimes we cannot use all of our means that we want to eliminate those uh, uh, terrorists because sometimes it can hurt our uh, hostages. But we still protect our warriors. So we use dogs, we use robots, we use drones, and we, we are maybe using the means that you uh, mentioned. And only in the end, we are sending warriors after we are sure those tunnels are clear, but still you can find out, you see IEDs, some of our warriors are sometimes uh, being killed because all those tunnels entrance are booby-trapped. And even sometimes when we clean it, they are booby-trapped it again. And unfortunately this causing some of our problems. And Last question for you, Jacob. Um, you, you and I spoke before this about um, what you call a digitized army, the full integration of the IDF. Just if you would for a minute, explain what you mean by that. Yes. I, uh, I will explain, but you know, preferring to your uh, presidents, you talked about a war in the in the north. I'm telling you, in the north, there will be a confrontation between Israel and Hezbollah. The question is when. The question is if we want to do it now, or maybe in the future before a confrontation with Iran, because Iran built them for this. Now about the digitized army, and before also, if you ask me who is the queen of the battlefield, you will be surprised. The queen with the, of, of the butterflies is what we call the D9, the big, big caterpillars, the one that no Israeli brigade commander will start a battle without it. It's going before the, uh, the forces. It cleans all the mines. It cleans all the booby traps. It cleans all the surprises. Even so, we are also doing using surprises against our enemies. The digitized army is for the first time, I think, in the history of the world that everyone in the battlefield can open an iPad or a laptop or a special uh, equipment, and he can see fully what is going on with the enemy, with Israeli, with IDF, where are our tanks, where are our forces. It's not preventing all what we call side to side or some of our casualties, unfortunately, because sometimes you misunderstand and you fire on your own uh, troops. But this system, for the first time, and it was not easy to build it more than 10 years, and about, I don't want to say how many billions of shekels, it cost it an Israeli blue and white uh, system. Uh, very, very important one gives the commanders in the field the ability to be with their warriors. They have not have to sit in the back front like it was before in the neons and in the screens. They can see online what is going on and they can distribute this is why we can do a very good cooperation between armed forces, army, air force, navy, special ops, space, and everything. All of them together, you can move targets from one to one. You can see what's going on. You can see where you are and where are your forces. And of course, where is your enemy? Very, very important one for the first time proven in the field. That sounds fairly remarkable and i look forward to learning more about it jacob thank you very much for joining us today
thank you and again one last sentence it's for you but also for the people in Israel and the world that will listen in order to have those systems you have to spend the money and the effort 10 days 10 years in advance you it's not a for focus focus as we say or it's something that if you spent 10 years before and have the capabilities then you can use them in the in the war you have to think before you have to use absolutely thank you jacob thanks for joining thank you us. very much i enjoyed joining you thank you okay here are the other stories fdd is following today my colleagues andrea stricker and anthony ruggiero have published a new memo on russia's state nuclear energy corporation ross adam highlighting how it remains a major moneymaker for President Vladimir Putin to fund his war against Ukraine. They track down the status of every member of Rosatom management, and they identify which ones are ripe for U.S. sanctions. You know how much we like to talk about and impose sanctions here at FDD. The news out of Yemen is wild. Uh, the French Navy, yes, you heard that right, the French Navy intercepted two Houthi drones on Saturday night. My CMPP colleagues, Brad Bowman and Mike Daum, are out with a new piece in Defense News, making the case for why the Pentagon needs to expand the existing Maritime Combined Task Force 153 to build a larger international coalition to protect commercial vessels sailing near Yemen and to halt Iranian weapons smuggling. And finally, FDD's Craig Singleton, director of our China program, will be sitting down later today for an on-the-record discussion with leading experts to describe or to discuss the Chinese Communist Party's campaign of malign influence across Latin America. The House Intelligence Committee's representative Rick Crawford will be moderating. I encourage you to tune in live on FDD's website at 4 p.m. Eastern. In fact, I encourage you to check out all of our terrific work at FDD.org. Follow our work on X at FTD, and please make your tax-deductible contribution before the end of the year at FTD.org slash invest. Join us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for more FTD Morning Briefs. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Jonathan Shanzer, signing off for FTD. Mm -hmm.